morning. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Uh, If you'd like to follow along with me as I read, it's on page 6 of your bulletin. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, we have a real treat today, a guest preacher for you, and so I'm happy to introduce to you uh, my brother, uh, Andrew Russell, who's here today together with his family, and we're so glad that all of you are here today. And Andrew is a pastoral fellow at our sister congregation, Grace Downtown, and they have been in town now for about a year, right? almost a year, and, uh, and so it's a joy to be able to share this morning together as we consider this story of Jesus' triumphal entry. And so, Andrew, if you can come up, up here, uh, it'd be my pleasure to pray for our time as we open God's word. Yeah. God, thank you. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we wouldn't know who you are. We wouldn't know who we are apart from you telling us the truth. So speak. Give us grace and truth and help us to see Jesus for who he is, for who you are. And please use our brother, uh, his gifts, his faith. Give us open ears. Give us open hearts. Come on in, King Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all welcome Andrew together. Oh my goodness, it's so good to be with you this morning. My name is Andrew Russell, um, coming from Dallas, Texas, born in Nassau, Bahamas, here with my lovely wife and family, but I feel like I'm at home. I see a lot of familiar faces. I see Justin, I see Garrett and Kamiko, I see, oh my goodness, Mary and Sean. I mean, uh, Michelle, my <laughs> Michelle, please forgive me. Michelle Higgins Lofton and Sean Lofton. I feel like I'm at home. And so today, I want to bring you a word from Matthew 21. And, you know, I I, I love the kids during the worship, how they're, you know, they're all praising. It's like the praise pit here. And so if you feel like you need to praise God, you can come up, come up on the praise pit. Amen. 
We want to bring you a word from Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, we talk about this story. We've, we've heard this story many times before, the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He begins his ministry in Jerusalem. He's been doing ministry in Galilee and uh, other places, but he comes to Jerusalem at a particular place. And that, that deacon who came here today really preached my sermon because I want to talk about Jesus redeeming a place and Jesus redeeming a people. Jesus redeems a place, and he redeems a people. But let's go back to the story. So we've heard this story of Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry many times. Let me put my stopwatch on. <laughs> Make sure I end on time, amen. I, my grandfather's a preacher, my daddy's a preacher, so let me, let me, let me give us some time. So we, we've heard this story before, and when it comes to familiar stories and familiar places, we ignore them. We ignore familiar, everyday places because it's hard for us to see a familiar place as new. We discount places that are familiar to us. You know, I've been living in D.C. almost a year now, and I have a lot of friends and family who come to visit. And if you've been in D.C. for more than a year, when you have friends and relatives that would come, what is the first thing they want to say or do? They want to see the monuments. They want to go to museums. They, wanna, they want you to walk from wherever you are to the Washington Cathedral, you know. So there, there, is, there is a sense that, man, you know, I've been in D.C. all these times. I, I, I walk by the monuments. It's a beautiful city. I've been to the White House and Capitol Hill. And you have friends who come, uh, you know, so-and-so take me to this place. And you're like, ah, I've been there before. So there's something about familiar places that, we, we discount, we, we put it as secondary, and we fail to see places that we're in and appreciate them. You know, the value of place, as my brother was talking earlier, is the value of the Grace DC Network. We believe that God loves places. And so we, because God loves places, because as in Jeremiah 29, 7, God says, seek the peace of the city for in its welfare, you will have welfare. So there's a special position of place in the, in, the, in the economy of God. You cannot love a people without loving the place of that people. Amen. I'll say it again. You cannot love a people without loving the place. And so Jesus shows a love for the people by showing a love for the place. And the particular place that I'm going to uh, uh, camp out on is the Mount of Olives. As I was preparing for this sermon, I, I couldn't get past the Mount of Olives. And we read it. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. So what is this place, the Mount of Olives? What is this place, the Mount of Olives? So my first point, Jesus redeems a place. Now, who in here knows what redeem means? Anybody know when I say redeem, do you know what that means? A few people. You know, in the church, we can use words like justification and atonement, and, uh, and, and those words can kind of just go over our heads. But I want to define for us today what redeem means to give us a better picture of what Jesus is doing in this passage. So redeem means to rescue or deliver, to reclaim. Back in the uh, ancient Near East, when uh, uh, somebody who lost their land, for example, you had some land and you lost it because you couldn't pay the debt, and so you would ask your redeemer, your next of kin, to come in and pay the debt. 
And so this, this, this definition of redemption, of redeemer, is in the context also of Exodus. When Jesus, when, when God redeems his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. So when we talk about Jesus redeeming something, we're, we're talking about him reclaiming something, repossessing, and saving and delivering. So let's go back to the Mount of Olives. Remember, I, I want us to see this place, this familiar place, as new. So I'm going to camp out here to show God's redemption of a particular place. Now, the Mount of Olives is an interesting place. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, it is the place where David, King David, fleed from his son, Absalom. So Absalom is King David's son. He's conspiring to take his father's throne, and when David hears that this insurrection is, is mounting, when he hears that his son has gotten all these people riled up, David takes his men and he flees, the Bible says, to the Mount of Olives, and he's barefoot and he's weeping. So the Mount of Olives, if, if you would have passed by and you would have looked at the history, it would be, oh, that's the place where David wept. In, in 1 Kings chapter 11 and, and 7, King Solomon turned away from God by performing uh, abominations and, and, and idol worship. And I'll read it. It says, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their God. So the Mount of Olives was a place where King Solomon performed idol worship to foreign gods. The Bible says it is a mount of offense. So the Mount of Olives, one, was a place where David ran from his son for his life, weeping. And then the Mount of Olives was a place where King Solomon performed, I mean, because he had a thousand wives, so that's a lot of idol worship. So he performed over, you know, hundreds of, 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 of false idol worship on this mountain. And then thirdly and finally, the Mount of Olives in Ezekiel 10 was when the glory of the Lord departed out of the temple. The Bible said it went east to the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives was a place where God left the church. Anytime you looked at the Mount of Olives, you remembered, oh, yeah, that's the place when God left the church. And so Jesus comes to this place. He comes to a place where David wept. He came to a place where Solomon worshipped foreign gods. And he came to a place where the glory of the Lord departed out of the temple. And yet you have King Jesus. In Matthew 1, he says he is Emmanuel, God with us. God returning to his people. And he brings himself. He, he brings redemption. He brings salvation. He doesn't say that this place is the hood. He doesn't say that this place used to be good. He doesn't say that this place, yeah, it used to be Chocolate City in the 70s. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was the place of the, the race riots. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the swamp that Donald Trump was talking about. He doesn't say that to a place. He comes in triumph. He comes in victory. He comes bringing peace. So where the place of, of, of shame and pain becomes the place of joy and triumph. Isn't it interesting that anytime you have a deep wound, you know, I'm not a doctor or I, I, you know, I haven't gone to med medical school, but I know that if you have a deep wound, if you have a deep cut, you have to apply direct pressure to it. 
You have to apply direct pressure to the pain to stop the bleeding so that it won't rot or so that there won't be any uh, uh, sickness. And so the, the place of pain becomes a source of healing and Jesus walks in triumph in a place of shame, in a place of offense, in a place of sorrow. Jesus applies direct pressure to the Israel's wounds so that the weak and the brokenhearted rejoice and throw down palm branches at his feet. And you see, we must apply direct pressure to the wounds of our lives with the words of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is a, is, is a walking Bible. He is the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. And so when, when Jesus comes to this particular place, the Mount of Olives, the Bible says in Matthew 21 that he is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and demonstrating its fulfillment to the Jewish people of that day. Now, the Jewish people, they were subjugated people. They were people who were under Roman rule, and Jesus fulfills this prophecy. And we know this because in John, uh, the, the disciples said that when after the resurrection, they knew, oh, that's what, that's what Jesus meant when he rode on the donkey. So he comes to a lowly people, and he says, I'm going to bring you salvation in the place where it hurts the most. I'm going to bring you victory in the place where you are most weak. I'm going to bring you peace in the middle of your warfare. You see, many of us are trying to escape our past because it's painful. We're embarrassed by the past. It's, it, it, is, it's, it hurts to remind us of our past. We're trying to pile on success to numb our past mistakes and failures. You know, you, you've been to a counselor or you've heard of counselors. Counselors always talk about your past so that they can give you hope in the present and hope for the future. It gives them an opportunity to lead you to healing. And so the place of our greatest pain will always be the place of our greatest healing. I say it again, the place of our greatest pain will always be the place of our greatest healing. If we want racial justice, if we want economic justice, if we want political justice, then we must apply direct pressure to the injustices of our past. We must apply direct pressure to slavery to racism, to mass incarceration, to institutional and individual biases, to political superiority. We, we will never heal as a country. We'll never heal as a nation. We will never heal as a community until we examine ourselves and deal with our ugly past. You see, future hope is dependent upon past forgiveness and future grace is dependent upon past repentance. Jesus goes to the place of hurt he goes to the place of shame. He goes to the place where God left the church, and he says, I'm going to bring victory. I'm going to bring joy. We've seen this scene because we know that they call Jesus the son of David. Two blind men call him the son of David. And as the son of David, he is patterned after David. We, when, you, when you look at David, you can see Jesus. It's like Jesus, when you, we hear this, he's the greater Moses. He's the greater prophet Elijah. He's the, the greater one. So when you look at Moses, all prophets are patterned after Moses. When you look at King David, all kings are patterned after David. And so this story of Jesus being on a donkey and, and coming to returning to Jerusalem should remind us of the story of David himself. As he was running away, remember I said he ran away from Absalom. As he was running to the Mount of Olives from Absalom, the Bible says that this brother named Shimei, I hope I'm saying that right. This brother was from the, the, the line of King Saul. And Shimei, you know, King Saul was, was David's predecessor. King Saul and David didn't have a good relationship. 
because the Bible says that, you know, when, they, when David became king, Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So there's some tension in their relationship. And as David, being the current king, running away from Absalom, goes to the Mount of Olives, Shimei is hurling cuss words and he's throwing rocks at him. And David tells his man, you know, let him do what he does. We're we going to go up to this mountain. And it, what's, what's amazing, when they came down the mountain, when they heard that Absalom was dead, when they came down the mountain, returning to Jerusalem, and the Bible said it was probably on a donkey because as they were going up the, the, the mountain, the donkeys were offered to them. So da King David is coming back to Jerusalem on a donkey, and they run into Shimei again. And instead of, you know, Jesus saying, man, I remember that brother. I remember when he threw them rocks at me. I, rem I remember when he was talking them words at me. And his, and, his, and his men was like, oh, David, it's time to get him. Get him, David. But instead, David pardons him. Instead, David shows mercy. So when David returns to Jerusalem on this donkey, he's bringing mercy and pardon, just like Jesus. Jesus knows that these same people who's going to praise him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, will be the same people who are throwing insults and rocks at him on the cross. These are the same people when, when, when they're saying, yes, Jesus is our king. When This is when Pilate and Herod will have on top of the cross king of the Jews as a, mock, as a mockery to, to Jesus' uh, 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 declaration of his kingship. And so Jesus, he brings mercy instead of violence, instead of shame, instead of revenge. So he redeems a place and he redeems a people. He fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 9 that says, Behold, your king is coming, riding on the donkey and bringing salvation and righteousness. He brings victory and good news. Now the triumphal entry flies in the face of Roman rule. So he's coming in broad daylight in a place where the Romans have, have, have established uh, uh, their rule in Jerusalem. This is the place where all type of Roman authority uh, uh, and presence. And Jesus comes to this place and he rides on a donkey. Now a lot of times we can read this and we can, we can, we can oh yeah, Jesus rode on a donkey. But think about this, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the same God when Moses said, Lord, please deliver your people from the hand of Pharaoh. And he, and he splits the Red Sea in two. This is the same God when Elijah at the height of Mount Carmel prays and fire comes down from heaven. Hebrew says our God is a consuming fire. And yet this is Jesus riding on a donkey. He comes in the most humble and lowly place. You know, I, I, I was listening to some other sermons on the triumphal entry, and this one African-American preacher talked about, yeah, Jesus rode on a, a Toyota instead of a Maybach or a Lamborghini. But that's the truth. Jesus, Jesus rode in something that's common, that's simple. He, he rode on a donkey. He came in humility. He came approachable. I mean, you could, you could touch Jesus as he walked by. He came unannounced. He didn't, he didn't make a schedule. He didn't say, you know, on this day, April the 9th, I'm going to ride on the donkey, so I want you to bring the crowd uh, yeah, and get some of them palm branches because we, we want to do it big, right? <laughs> no, Jesus says, I'm going to come unannounced. You don't even have to set up an appointment. You know, if you want to see the president, you've got to set up an appointment. If you want to see a government official that's high-ranking, you have to set an appointment. 
But Jesus comes like a friend, unannounced, texting you, hey, can we grab lunch? I'm, I'm on the way. Jesus comes like this. He, he comes to us in, in humility. And he doesn't wait for us to come to him, but he comes to us. This is the nature of Jesus' messiahship. This is the nature of his kingship. You see, many times we confuse humility for weakness. We're like, yeah, Jesus, you know, I, I don't want to be humble. I want to be strong because if I'm showing humility, I'm showing weakness. I, I, I got I to keep mine. I got to protect mine. And yet Jesus shows that humility is the character of the divine. If you want to uh, look like God, if you want to walk the way of Jesus, you must walk in the way of humility. It is God dwelling with men. It is kings dwelling with the poor, rulers and authority figures dwelling with prisoners and convicts. It is the ultimate expression of power. You see, God establishes his rule when, when his people were at their weakest. Submission to God's law resulted in strength power, and dignity for God's people. Mother Teresa, she said this. She said, humility is the mother of all virtues, purity, charity, and obedience. It is in being humble that our love becomes real, devoted, and ardent. If you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know that what you are, because you know what you are. If you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. If they call you a saint, you will not put yourself on a pedestal. You see, the hu humility is when the strong, is what the strong do when they bow their knee, dwell with the weak, and ride on donkeys. This is, this is true humility, my friends. And, and what's interesting, when, when Jesus comes in this crowd, he has the crowd screaming, Hosanna, which means God save us, to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're praising him with the palm branches. And right before that passage, Jesus healed two blind men. And this word, son of David, is all throughout Matthew. But anytime you see son of David, it's always blind people saying it. You know, Jesus, when he, when he comes to, in his triumphal entry, he's showing his kingship. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's, he's showing, he's revealing himself to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And you would think that he would have some better people to, to proclaim his, his entry, to, to proclaim his victory than two blind people. But the Bible says that when these two blind men, they said, son of David, have mercy on us. And they said it again, son of David, have mercy on us. It was, they, could, they, could, they couldn't see Jesus. They could only hear Jesus. They could only touch Jesus. They could only experience the power of Jesus to, for healing. They knew that he'd done it before, and they knew that he could do it again. And so it's interesting that these two blind men, Jesus uses these two blind brothers to be the, to the heralds, to be his campaign managers who would, who would call out, this is the son of David, because I know, because he's healed me. It is, isn't this interesting the, the, that salvation isn't not only something that you can see, but it's something that you can touch. It's something that you can hear. It's so close and near like the two blind men. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So Jesus brings redemption to a place and he re brings redemption to a people. And the, the redemption that Jesus brings, the, the victory and salvation that Jesus brings is peace with God. My brothers and sisters, we need peace with God. 
We need peace with God more than we need peace with uh, our, our, our government officials, more than we need peace with uh, some of our school superintendents, more than we need peace with that neighbor who is terrorizing our community. We need peace with God because our relationship with God has been broken and we don't recognize Jesus as king. Jesus is just a prophet. He's just a messenger. He's just someone who I can follow his example. Yeah, Jesus is a good person. I could follow his example. I could do the golden rule. I can love others. I can, you know, help the poor. But would you call him king? Because he's not only king of the Jews, he's also the king of all creation. He's the king of all kings. The Bible says he is the word that was in the very beginning. You see, sin broke our relationship with God, and consequently, we no longer see God as king, but man as king, and reason as the message of the kingdom of this world. And so if you can't scientifically verify it, then it isn't real. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity isn't rational, but what I am saying is that reason can only get you as far as your faith will take you. I'll say it again. Reason can only get you as far as your faith will take you. Reason says Jesus is a political king who will usher in Jewish dominion and rule. Faith is two blind men saying, son of David, have mercy on us. This is the picture of the gospel. Jesus walks the way of death and shame to give us life and humility. Jesus went to the cross, resurrected from the grave to give us our humanity back. A lot of people are wondering, well, who am I? What's my purpose? Why, why am I here on this earth? I hear this question many times from non-Christians, but also from Christians. We're wondering, who are we? What's my identity? What's my purpose? What, why am I here? And let me, let, me, let me say this to you. For those who are, are struggling with this, with this issue, true humanity is so precious that God, it's so precious to God that it takes everlasting, infinite divine power to bring us to our rightful position, which is laying palm branches at the feet of Jesus while he walks victoriously in our lives. That's our rightful position. We, our rightful position is a position of praise. If you want to know who you are, it, it, it comes in your praise of, the, of the, the creator, the one who has formed you and fashioned you. To be truly human is to be the people of the palm branches. We have the privilege to declare to the world that the king has come and brought eternal peace, eter everlasting joy, unsearchable love, and acceptance to all those who would lay down their lives as palm branches at the feet of Jesus. Because once you lay down your life, God will redeem you. That's why Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king has come, bringing salvation in his very body, he's bringing salvation. Behold, your king is basically saying, look at him. Behold, your king has come, and he's bringing salvation to the place where it hurts the most. He's bringing salvation and victory to the place where you are so full of shame. He's bringing salvation, and he's bringing peace to your warfare, where in your mind you can't even rest, you can't even go to sleep at night. Because you're, you're, you're worrying or you're battling in your, your thoughts about this and that. And Jesus is bringing peace. Jesus is bringing victory. He's bringing salvation. He, he specializes when things go bad. He's like the Marines. 
He's like the Army and the Navy and the Air Force all rolled into one. He, and he isn't afraid when terrorist attacks. He doesn't, he, he's not, he doesn't fret when someone in power who you don't like comes into office. He, he doesn't fret when your community has been ravaged by drugs or violence or your community has been ravaged by the people on Wall Street taking from you. He's not worried about that, but he brings victory. He brings triumph. He, he specializes in redeeming the broken places. That's what King Jesus is all about. Jesus redeems a people before he redeems a place, and that's why in Isaiah 62, and I'll close with this, Isaiah 62 and verse 4 says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land is married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. You see, my brothers and sisters, Christ's redemption is not only of the Jews, but is of all people. Christ wants to redeem not only the earth, but all creation. Christ wants to redeem this city, Washington, D.C. He wants to redeem your neighbor, neighborhood, Columbia Heights. Because when he redeems a people, he redeems a place. It is one and the same. And so will you lay down your life as palm branches as Jesus walks victoriously? Will you be like the two blind men and say, son of David, have mercy on me? Because that is our rightful position in humility before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have walked victoriously into the place of our biggest shame. You've walked victoriously into the place of sin, of death. Father, you've taken on the worst that we could ever imagine. Your word says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to be our king. We thank you that he is the true son of David, that he is the true victor. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us the victory as Lauren Hill sang again and again and again. The conquering line, give us the victory. We need some victory this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.